I'm very excited to share this recording with you guys, which happened at our conference, sasopen.com, with over 100 speakers, all founders of B2B SaaS companies. We have a very high bar for what speakers share on stage, so you're going to enjoy this episode where we dive deep into revenue graphs, real tactics, and real growth metrics. You are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka, where I sit down and interview the top SaaS founders, like Eric Wan from Zoom. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. We've published thousands of these interviews, and if you want to sort through them quickly by revenue or churn, CAC, valuation, or other metrics, the easiest way to do that is to go to gitlatka.com and use our filtering tool. It's like a big Excel sheet for all of these podcast interviews. Check it out right now at gitlatka.com. Guys, Brett Hurt, his fourth company, Core Metrics, launched in 1999. He left in 2005 after the company broke 30 million bucks in revenue. And in 2010, the company sold for $300 million to IBM. That was his first sort of big cash day. But he left actually earlier in 2005 and launched with his, one of his friends, Brandt, Bizarre Voice, which ended up growing to 100 million bucks in revenue, spending just $13 million to get there and a billion dollar IPO, very capital efficient. Obviously, Bizarre Voice taken private in 2018 by Marlin and other stuff has happened since then. But now Brett's focus is data.world, competing with Calibra, really a large scale, widespreading data platform, very opposite of the capital efficiency of his earlier companies. He had to spend, well, not spend, but raise over $53 million of capital before his first dollar of revenue at data world but now scaling team of 150 50 engineers focused on efficiency uh, and scaling in a good way he's written about his success and his book the entrepreneur's essentials which i encourage all of you guys to check out hey folks my guest today is brett hurt he's the ceo of data.world the enterprise data catalog for the modern data stack he's also the co-founder of hurt family investments brett has co-founded and led bizarre voice through an ipo as well as Core Metrics, which is acquired by IBM. He is a Henry Clown Fellow, and his book is called The Entrepreneur's Essentials. All right, Brett, you ready to take us to the top? Yeah, let's go All for right. it. So take us back to Bizarre Voice first. People always go, man, you know, oh, Brett, he started his first company. It does well. He IPOs it. But you've got, you know, do you have any stories before that where things crash and burned? Well, Bizarre Voice was actually my fifth company. It was definitely the best outcome to date, but I think Data.World is much more ambitious and it's incredibly exciting the path we're on with this company. Um, but Bizarre Voice really popularized customer reviews all over the world. It really brought that voice of the customer into websites, Walmart and the Home Depot and Best Buy and many others all over the world used it. As of today, it's in over 20,000 or, or over 20,000 customers rather and over 40 international languages. And it's run by a really good friend of mine, um, Keith Nealon. And it's it's an amazingly scaled company at this point. Um, but yeah, that was an incredible journey. We were actually rated the number one company to work for in Austin when we we're small, then medium, then large. A lot of the um, insights in my book come from Bizarre Voice and we've applied them to data.world. By the way, all proceeds uh, to the entrepreneurs essentials go to supporting female entrepreneurs. So I don't make a dime on this. And I also gave away the book for free online at the entrepreneursessentials.com. Um, so hey guys, if you're driving, if you're books. driving and listening, the cover is a green cover. If you're looking it up on Amazon, the entrepreneurs essentials, so you can look up and we'll certainly link to that in the show notes and promote this when we send it out. But, but, but that, that's great. Um, give us the, give us the, on Bizarre Voice, just give us some of the snippets real quick. So like when, what year did you launch the business? So Bizarre Voice, um, I launched it with Brant Barden in 2005. 
And to put that in a historical context, there were only three retailers who had customer reviews at the time um, in the entire United States. And um, we um, launched, I think, two years before the iPhone. Facebook was closed to the public. There was no such thing as Snapchat or Instagram or TikTok. Um, So there's this entire social wave that was about to come. And that really accelerated the business at Bizarre Voice because Facebook came along and said to all the brands and all the retailers, you need to be social, you need to be social, you need to be social. And of course, they had invented the world's best ad targeting engine up until um, when Apple changed their roles and and really broke that that uh, that engine pretty profoundly. Um, but you know, here we were in the right time, right place. And I always say that entrepreneurship is a combination of a lot of grit and a lot of luck. And anybody that says there's no luck in it, they're absolutely wrong. There's a tremendous amount of luck needed to become a successful entrepreneur. I mean, I was hoping you had mentioned that Salesforce IPO'd in 2006. So you could also argue where you were one of the original sort of SaaS models and eventually one of the original enterprise SaaS models. Would you agree with that? I would actually, I would actually go back to Core Metrics, my fourth business for that. I got to see Mark Benioff present when Salesforce was 80 people. Um, when I was raising money for Core Metrics, this is back in 1999. The term SaaS didn't exist. You, you launched it in 1999. Yes. Wow. Yeah, okay. That was Core Metrics, um, and the term SaaS didn't exist. The term ASP, Application Service Provider, didn't exist. I saw Benioff speaking at Stanford, talking about the end of software. And I thought he was brilliant. Um, and I was out there trying to raise money for core metrics, talking to VCs about clients and, you know, um, mainframes and dumb terminals and clients and servers and like anything to get them to kind of grok what a centralized multi-tenant kind of SaaS model would be. Um, but those terms, again, didn't exist back then. Um, and I was like, look, I'm going to be able to upgrade it for our customers all the time. And, and they were like, but there's already two public companies that one's worth a billion, one's worth two billion, and they're on-prem. And it seems like everybody's going to want their data on-prem. And I was like, but I'm going to be able to release software so much faster than them. And I've talked with almost all of their customers and they're all hating on them. Um, they, most of them haven't deployed. The ones that have told me that it took 12 to 18 months, you're going to be able to deploy this in weeks. And the rest is history. I mean, Core Metrics just blew past those companies, really disrupted them. And, and I mean, was one right, we can, we can quantify company. this, though, too. I mean, I love the story, but we can put real numbers behind this. It's funny. I mean, I'm looking here at your profile. I mean, you, you launched the Series A or you closed the Series A in 1999. Not to date you at all, but 1999. That's right. That's right. Uh, you're also one of the early uses that I see. I haven't seen many earlier than this of debt financing to fund a SaaS company so you can preserve your equity as you go into a Series B and onwards. Um, you ended up, I think, raising, what was the total raised at CoreMetrics? Oh, gosh, I would need to think about that. I, I, think it was, I think it was close to 80 million. And are you able to share back in 08? This is crazy timing, right? Remember, guys, what's happening in 08 in the financial markets? I think you closed your Series E then. It was for 60 million. Do you remember what that valuation was? No, that, that's actually incorrect. Um, okay. that, that was, uh, I was already at Bizarre Voice at the time. So I got core metrics to a point where I felt very, very confident that it was going to be successful. And then I just felt like the timing for Bizarre Voice was too compelling. And I wanted to move on to my next project. What year so was that, Brett? That was 2005. So okay. I remained on board of um, core metrics for a period of time and loved, you know, loved the company, loved the people there. 
Um, and then it exited to IBM for around $300 million in 2010. And that was my first significant exit, um, but it was two years before Bizarre Voice went public and Bizarre Voice was over a billion dollar IPO and one of the top five IPOs of uh, 2012. Um, so it was a it was it was it was good liquidity from core metrics, but then Bizarre Voice was really the entrepreneurial dream come true. This is incredible. So do you remember you said you left in core metrics quote when you felt it was comfortable? Quantify that in terms of revenue. Do you remember ARR in 2005? Um, I think it was around 30 million uh, okay. ARR at that point. And do you remember what it scaled to five years later in 2010 before the acquisition? I don't. Okay. No, I don't. Okay, so you basically also that takes a lot of discipline. I mean, this thing it's growing, it's thirty million ARR. You go, man, I'm just feeling so compelled by this bizarre voice thing. Did you have yeah. trusted lieutenants at Core Metrics, maybe co-founders? Then that sort of gave you extra, you know, comfort to leave. Yeah, actually, I left with Brent Barden, who became my co-founder, and it was it was a little bit of an awkward scenario because Brent um, approached me at Core Metrics and said, "Hey." I'm going to go start another company at some point, And I'm wondering if you'd be on my board of directors. And Brant was absolutely amazing on our client services team. He led um, really one of the most difficult parts of the SaaS model, which is to make sure that you're doing a great job of servicing your customers. I always say you have to constantly be re-earning their trust um, as a SaaS company because it's a recurring revenue business. So you've got to stress that last S software as a service and really make sure you're providing great service. So anyways, I was, I was, I was fascinated with how um, great Brant was at his job. And when he first said this to me, I thought, well, gee, I don't want to lose him. But then I thought, I'm a real hypocrite if I don't meet with him about this. And then when I met with him, he said, hey, would you like to brainstorm with me too? I could really use a brainstorming partner. And we brainstormed and we came up with Bizarre Voice. And then I realized, or I really felt deep in my bones that the market timing for that was so compelling and that it was such a big vision and it could be a bigger company than Core Metrics that I thought to myself, I've got to do this. But I, I trust me, I would not have left Core Metrics had it not been in a good state. And the reason I say that is Core Metrics had gone through a lot of trauma. We launched in 1999. Um, okay. You know what happened next? Yep. We had 100 dot-com customers. We were ringing the, the bell all the time, winning new customers. And 97 of our customers went out of business in the dot-com crash. And so I had a huge amount of scar tissue. We had to let go of two-thirds of the people. Um, you know, I literally, I lived in San Francisco at the time. We're in Austin now. And I would tell my wife, I literally feel like I'm being punched in the gut. Um, but ultimately... I got the company back on a good track alongside a great team. And we built, you know, we've signed Walmart and built back up into a big company. We became rated the number one in the industry by Forrester Research, who is the most important research firm in that particular industry for retail. And that was back in the days of Kate Del Hagen and, and a bunch of other amazing people that work there. Um, and so once it got to a point where I was like, okay, there's just it's undeniably going to be successful. Now, I will tell you that I wish that the CEO um, that took it forward didn't sell it so early, um, but you know, it had gone through some trauma. I mean, honestly, it could have been an IPO just a couple of years later, um, but I guess that he and, and the board felt like that was a compelling offer, but they, 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 they kind of missed like the hockey stick that was coming 
in SaaS just a just a couple of years later. So the multiple wasn't as great as it could have been, and um, it it really changed IBM. I mean, it became IBM's core analytics stack, but it could have been so much more. Yeah. Hey, I want to move forward here. I have another minute on Bazaar Voice and then spend the rest of the time on your new company, Data World, which we're all excited about. Uh, on Bazaar Voice, though, you so Brandt and you are getting together. One question I always get from listeners is, Nathan, I've got a great co-founder, but we haven't had the tough equity conversation. And they always mm-hmm. end up just saying 50-50, which I go, man, was yeah. it really lazy? They just didn't want to have the tough conversation. So they said 50-50. How did you guys do that? Did you and Brett just split it 50-50 or how did you have that conversation? You and Brent, sorry. Did you just yeah. split it or how did you do that? Yeah, so we um, that was the toughest conversation we ever had, actually, um, because there's a lot of romance in starting a company together. And, you know, I, I truly love Brant today. He's one of my best friends, um, but I would not do a 50-50 deal. I, I knew what kind of value I had to the business, and I served on the board of directors of shop.org. Um, I had, you know, a tremendous network um, out there. And I had tremendous know-how. I mean, Cormetrics was my fourth business and it was a successful business. And so I, um, I negotiated with them. I won't tell you where we ended up, but we did not end up at 50-50, but I ended up with um, a much bigger equity stake. But at the end of the day, Brent did incredibly well financially. And it was also a dream come true for him. And one thing I'm tr- particularly proud of is by the time Bizarre Voice went public, like two things. One is we had only raised 23 million. And we had over 100 million run rate with 13 million left in the bank. Y Combinator said it was one of the top five most um, capital efficient SaaS businesses of all time. So just to be um, clear, you were at north of 100 million bucks in ARR in 2012 when you IPO'd. Yes. Wow, with, that's, I mean, it's incredible. only 13 million of capital use over a six-year period. That's incredible. Wow. It was that's a good incredible. burn multiple. Yeah, that was a good burn multiple. And then the second thing is that um, we, you know, you know those uh, firms that, gauge how you're doing on giving equity and kind of how generous you are. We were the second most generous SaaS company um, by that time, 2012, out of all SaaS companies that had gone public before in terms of how generous we were with equity to all of our employees. And so- How big the was the ESOP pool at IPO? Yeah, we had a big one. And, and the thing that I love about that is that- How big made, though, Brett, was it? I think it was like 20-ish percent okay, that we- yeah given to employees. And um, and the thing that's amazing about that is that um, it led to over 60 companies started by former Bizarre Voice people. Like that's how big of an exit it was and how much wealth it created. And I'm a capitalist and that ripple effect, um, capital, you know, capitalist impact is very real in terms of what happens with nonprofits, what happens with people starting their own businesses, the type of know-how they get to create great cultures. Um, you know, as I mentioned, Bizarre Voice was the top rated company. Data.world is rated in the top three companies to work for. In let's Austin. Get, let's get into that, Brett. Data World, you, you launched, I believe, in what, 20, 2015? Yeah, we launched in, uh, well, we founded in 2015 and we launched uh, Data.world. It's Data.world, by the way. Yep. Um, I always pronounce the dot. Um, but we launched uh, on July 11th of 2016 on Slurpee Day, which we didn't really expect it was going to be on 7 Eleven. Um, but, uh, that turns out that was Slurpee day. Um, but you know, that was a, that was a great launch and we've now become the world's largest collaborative data community, um, for open data sets. And then we have a for-profit division of the company, which is focused on the data catalog industry. And we've been a great disruptor there in a very similar way, by the way, to core metrics. If you go all the way back to 99, 
because um, we're com we're competing here primarily against Alation and Calibra, which are both primarily on-prem. Um, most of the revenue comes from on-prem mm -hmm. and they come out with a couple of releases a year. We come out with over a thousand product releases a year, literally release software two to three times a day. That's the pace of innovation um, here at Data.World. That's incredible. Tell me how many years it took you to break a million dollar run rate at Data World. At Data.World, um, we didn't even make a dollar of revenue until we had um, raised over $50 million. And um, we didn't break a dollar of revenue until 2018. And the reason why is it's a very different business than Bizarre Voice. It's a very wide surface area. If you understand the data catalog space, it's basically a library for all of your internal data assets. So it sits on top of Snowflake and Databricks and Oracle and Netizen, all, all other systems, both modern and old. And it sits on top of um, Microsoft Power BI and Tableau and Looker and Google Data Studio and a bunch of others, um, you know, Domo and a bunch of other older BI systems. So we have over 95 integrations and the surface area of what we're doing is really wide. And we also have to be incredibly secure. Like you, you can imagine the CISO process that we go through um, with customers. We have a lot of cybersecurity customers on our platform. A lot of companies you would have heard of that are that are truly big. And we're in every market vertical now. We're in universities, government agencies, you know, local state. We're in um, a lot of uh, corporations, you know, from technology companies to financial services to healthcare to um, to you know travel and retail and on and on and on. So Brett, um, just to pull this forward, one of the themes I want to get for our listeners here is they're all trying to manage dilution, right? As they scale, they want to go hit a home run, but they also don't want to dilute. You did a great job, obviously. You already talked about it at prior companies. This one's a little bit different in terms of the broad reach, but help, help me understand your Series B was a 26 million Series B, I believe in 2020. Most folks in the Series B, they're selling 10% of the company. Were you sort of in that same range? So we're, we're about 50-50 owned right now between investors and internally. Yeah. Um, and we've raised um, over 132 million to date. The last round we raised was from Goldman Sachs. That was a $50 million round. They put in 40 million of that 50 million and we were oversubscribed on the remaining 10. What was the post money on that? Are you comfortable sharing? Yeah, I can't share that on a podcast. Okay. Sorry. Okay. M most so, Interwire and all the others try to get that all the time. Yeah, most folks, I mean, look, if you can sort of predict. I mean, most folks when they're doing Series C, especially in early 2022, I mean, you're selling somewhere between 5 and you know, 10, 15% of the company. Is it? Can you say you're sort of in that same range? Well, we, we closed on our Series C in 2022. Yep. Um, so we did it after the crazy multiples, which turned out to be a huge blessing because there's a lot of companies that raised at like 100x ARR multiples. And that's a crushingly high multiple to live up to. And so a lot of those companies are getting recapped. We're not in a recap situation. So you're so, more like 20, 30x, something in that range. I, I don't feel comfortable disclosing, but but we were we were we were in a very normal type of range. Well, hey, Brett, you got to teach my audience. They don't know the normal range, but I also want to respect your privacy. Can you give a range you're comfortable with? So there's a concrete takeaway for the audience, but what still protects what you're trying to protect? We were we were way 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 south of 100x AR. Okay, way okay, that's great. So yeah. moving forward to today, just help me understand pricing model. What's the average customer paying you per year for this data platform you've built? So I don't I don't discuss average selling price. Um, that would give a lot of good competitive intel. But I can tell you the way we charge is we charge on a platform basis, and then we charge um, users uh, above that. 
So when we upsell customers, we're typically upselling on the number of users, and we're actually becoming the most deployed data tool of all time at our customers. How do you measure that? Well, one of the uh, largest um, service firms in the world has 85% of their employees using data.world. There's nothing that's ever taken off like that for them. Um, you know, another company, which well, is- Well, do, do you know if they've space. tried others though? I mean, that's sort of a, I mean, saying you have 85% penetration in one of your customers, well, yeah, but what, I mean, what about someone who tested Calibra and tested you? Yeah, so that was one where they failed with Calibra and they never got- Okay, there we go. <laughs> they never got over 12 users. And with us, they're at 31,000 users. Okay, that makes more sense. Talk to me about your supporting all this from an infrastructure perspective as we wrap up here last two minutes. What's your total team size today and how much engineering power do you have there? Yeah, so we're about 150 people today. And our engineering team is getting a lot more efficient right now because of generative AI, like all engineering teams are. Um, so we're all in on that. And we're also all in on it from a product standpoint because our platform is built on what's called a knowledge graph. And that three-dimensionalizes data. Google search is actually built on a knowledge graph and Facebook social um, engine is built on a knowledge graph and large part of Amazon. So we've got the perfect technology base actually for generative AI, uh, but we're also using it very heavily internally. And you know, a, a lot of our team is engineering at this point. Um, like how many of the 150? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's around a third of okay. our company at this okay. point. That's right. And when you say you have like 31,000 members at that one company, I just want to make sure these are not like free users you're just giving away. That's easy. These are, they're paying for these seats. This is paid. Yeah. So when you yeah. say in the press, you have 1.6 million members, these are not just free users floating around. These are paid seats on the platform. Okay. So there's two, two sides of it. It's not 1.6 million. Um, what I said earlier is it's 2.1 million on the free side. Um, and then we don't disclose how many are on the paid side. Uh, but we have two parts of the business. We're a B corporation. One part is a free utility to leverage open data sets from all over the web and collaborate on those for free and contribute to the public body of knowledge about cancer and climate change and poverty and nutrition and all of these important things. That part of the business has trained the paid part, which is the data catalog business. And the way you can think about it is that the, the, the first part of the business is essentially like a, like a free data catalog for open data. And the second part of the business is a data catalog just for a company, just for their private data. And that's where all of those integrations and everything else come into play. Yeah, sorry, just to be clear, in April 5th, 2022, you told TechCrunch, quote, he claims the data.world now has more than 1.6 million members across customers, including the Associated Press and Penguin Random House. That's where I got that number from. My question is, I want to make sure when we're saying members, are these paid seats or are these people contributing to your learning model? That might be free. Those are people contributing to the learning okay. model. Yeah, that's just dated because that's an old TechCrunch article. But yeah, that's that's now over 2.1 million. Oh, wow. Yeah. Impressive. Okay, cool. So they're all contributing to your learning model. And then you've got uh, companies like this one with 31,000 seats where they're all paying for the each each of those seats. Yes, that's right. right. You've taken companies to 100 million bucks in revenue a couple of times. You're not going to share this, but my best estimate on your revenue today with 150 employees, most VC-backed companies do between 100 and 200,000 bucks in revenue per employee, which would put you at like 20 million bucks-ish in ARR. How many years do you think it'll take you to break 100 million bucks in revenue with this idea? 
Yeah, that's not something I'm going to disclose. You're like a VC. Um, this is like if you're if you're going to write me a hundred million dollar check, then I'll disclose some of these things. Well, but, look, there's a lot of founders uh, that want to learn from you, um, and no one gets yeah, the data that I get. That. So I'm always going to ask the question. Um, right. Right. Uh, and so, so I guess I mean, what can you share anything about how you take an idea from where you are today to north of a hundred million bucks since you've done this so many times? It's it's all in my book, um, The Entrepreneur's Essentials. Um, I, I talk about specifically how to build the sales team, how to do it in a capital efficient way, how to structure your culture, how to hire, um, how to ultimately come up with the right business model. So ev everything about that is in our book. Are there numbers in the book? There are numbers in the book for companies that have either sold or gone public. Yeah. You're speaking my language, Brett, on that. And let's wrap up with the famous five. Number one, your favorite book besides your own. I love Enlightenment Now by Steven Pinker because it's so data-driven and really makes you optimistic for the future and takes chapter by chapter issues like inequality or food or energy or anything you're worried about and shows you the no BS data throughout human history um, to show you that the world is actually progressing in a really beautiful way overall versus the fear-mongering that goes on um, pretty constantly out there. An under-the-radar CEO or founder that really impresses you that you're following? Um, I think Ross Burdorf is incredible. We're investors in his company. They recently closed around at $1.7 billion, and um, they're disrupting LegalZoom. And he's, he, it's an interesting story because it's the first time in the CEO seat. You have to say the company, Brett. So it's Zen Business. Zen Business. Zen Business, yeah. I cut you off. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, he, he's, it's his first time in the CEO seat. He was the CTO of Homeway before. It's been a real joy to mentor him and really just awesome to see how well that company is doing. And they're also a proud B Corp. You know, when we became a B Corp in Austin, um, there were six companies that followed us and made that move. And I know they did because I talked with their CEOs about it when we made that move and they asked me, why are we doing this? And, and, uh, I, I really believe that's the next stage of capitalism, capitalism 2.0. And guys, if you want to learn from Ross, you can find his interview he did on the show, uh, which a lot of good data. 2019, he shared they broke 4 million in revenue. 2020, he shared they broke 15. 2021, they grew to over 45 million bucks in revenue as they're displacing large folks like LegalZoom, doing it in a capital efficient way. Their Series B was a $56 million round on 256 posts, which he shared about. And then the one that, uh, that Brad just mentioned was a Series C, 200 million at 1.7 post money. A really, really great story there from Ross. Brett, yeah, number yeah, three, incredible. number three, what's your favorite online tool for building data world besides, besides your own or one you own equity in? Um, hmm. I, I've got to say that uh, it is becoming very quickly GitHub Copilot <laughs> just yep. because, you know, the way it leverages OpenAI's codex and the way it's lifting all of our productivity on the engineering side, which is, as you know, a very high cost uh, part of any business, um, and it's turning our engineers into super superpowers. So I love that technology. Number four, how many hours of sleep are you getting every night? I get seven to eight. That's great. And situation, married, single kids? Married for 27 years. Um, and my wife is my investing partner. We've invested in over 130 startups in the past 12 years. We're in 40 VC funds as well. So we have our own family office, um, as you mentioned at the at the top. And um, we have two kids. Our daughter is 18 and she's going off to Tulane University in the fall. That was her dream school. And our son um, is 13. We have his bar mitzvah in Israel this year in June, which we can't wait for. Oh, that's awesome. Very cool. And how old are you? I'm 51. 
Last question. Take us home here. Something you wish you knew when you were 20. Oh, gosh. Um, well, I'll stick with the I'll stick with the kid theme for a second. Um, I took this path of being an entrepreneur. And when I graduated from the Warden School, um, I made zero dollars for a long time. And it took a long time to gain wealth on the entrepreneurial path. But I knew it was what I was going to do. My wife and I talked a lot about it before we got married. Um, and because of that, we waited for a long time to have kids. We didn't have our first child until we didn't get pregnant until we were 32. Mm -hmm. And I would have gotten started earlier, um, all things considered. And you know, they say that you live with no regrets in life, or some people say that. I think that's BS. I think there's lots of regrets in life. And that's one where I would have just said to myself, hey, believe, believe in, your, in yourself more. Um, believe in your ability to become successful. Um, don't worry as much about uh, the financial security for having kids. You'll figure it out. Guys, Brett Hurt, his fourth company, Core Metrics, launched in 1999. He left in 2005 after the company broke 30 million bucks in revenue. And in 2010, the company sold for $300 million to IBM. That was his first sort of big cash day. But he left actually earlier in 2005 and launched with his, one of his friends, Brandt, Bizarre Voice, which ended up growing to 100 million bucks in revenue, spending just $13 million to get there and a billion dollar IPO, very capital efficient. Obviously, Bizarre Voice taken private in 2018 by Marlin and other stuff has happened since then. But now Brett's focus is data.world, competing with Calibra, really a large scale, widespreading data platform, very opposite of the capital efficiency of his earlier companies. He had to spend, well, not spend, but raise over $53 million of capital before his first dollar of revenue at data world but now scaling team of 150 50 engineers focused on efficiency uh, and scaling in a good way he's written about his success and his book the entrepreneur's essentials which i encourage all of you guys to check out brett hurt thank you for taking us to the top yeah thank you so much